0: Hi, this is Nancy Urell and welcome to High Road to Humanity, and I have a phenomenal guest here. Stephen G. Coast is here on the High Road, and welcome to High Road to Humanity, Stephen.
1: Thank you, Nancy. It's
0: my great delight. Oh, I'm excited you're here. The book is God and Love on Route 80. You love it you guys this is really cool i read this i spent some time reading this and it's very 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 good um so i have to say he's a pretty darn good writer so i'm gonna turn up my light here so i can read because i want to you guys sit back and relax and hear about Stephen g post he's a phd he's the best-selling author of why good things happen to good people how to live a longer happier healthier life by the simple act of giving and that's published by random house he's been quoted in more than four thousand international newspapers and magazines including the new york times parade magazine o magazine and psychology today he's been interviewed on several hundred radio and tv programs including the daily show now He's also the recipient of the National Endowment for the Humanities Top Public Speaker Award. Um, He uses highly engaging style to inspire audiences with the best of medical and philosophical knowledge about the transformation benefits of kindness, volunteering, spirituality, forgiveness, gratitude and purpose. And gosh, that just says a lot right there. I mean, I can go on. This guy has an amazing bio. Um, I'm just glad you're here. And I'm glad you wrote this book because the world's crazy right now. You know what I mean?
1: It, I know what you mean. And it's hard. You know, we have all these medical students here and we're trying to teach them to be virtuous and to form the right habits of character. And yet everything in the newspaper is someone else being thrown off a subway platform. Or some bunch of people attacking an old person and leaving them for dead on the street. I, I mean, know, it's, I know. It's so, it's so harsh.
0: Well, we've taken God out of it.
1: Yes. And you're bringing him
0: back. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah on, Route 80, on
0: Route 80. On Route 80. You know, I want you to tell the story because as I started to read this, me being an angelic, person. I am I work with the angels. They bring me messages. I connect with my angels. Everybody has a guardian angel. There are angels all around us. I've learned we just have to ask, but I'll tell you what, your story is amazing. So I'm just going to be quiet and let you tell the story about the dream you had. And how old were you? Can I ask when you had the dream?
1: Uh, when I first had the dream, I was 15. Okay. And it repeated uh, over about a year. Um, and uh, roughly six times.
0: Okay. And
1: then I kind of left it aside, but it came back into my life a few years later.
0: All right. I'll tell your story, if you would, please, to the audience. Okay.
1: <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> I went to high school in Concord, New Hampshire, at, a, at an all-boys prep school called St. Paul's. Okay. I was really taken with the beauty of nature, That was my window into the divine in a lot of ways. But I was also reading a lot of scriptures and studying what we called ancient history, sacred studies with a lot of wonderful people up there. Mm -hmm. So um, that was my kind of general direction. Uh, When I was 15, uh, I was up at St. Paul's and I had a dream that that was kind of a dream, but it was something more than that because it was very early in the morning. And I'd woken up, but not really feeling that I'd woken up. And I was kind of, you know, there, but not there. I wasn't aware of time. And um, I saw a road uh, going to the west. It was a pathway, really, going to the west. Uh, there was, uh, on the left, a young man with stringy, dirty, blonde hair. And he looked like he was about to jump uh off a ledge, possibly to his death. At least that was my impression. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, it was very misty. I couldn't see more than a few feet in front of me. uh, So it was like a huge fog had somehow settled in. And then uh, as I'm walking, uh, all the fog uh, disappears. And the face of a woman, I took her to be an angel. She didn't have wings, but she had a face of an angel, uh, comes into my view. Uh, everything lightens up. And she says, if you save him, you too shall live. I had no idea what that meant, of course. Right. Uh, and that was the end of the dream. And that morning I went to my favorite wooden seat in the old chapel of St. Peter and St. Paul. And I I prayed about it. Didn't get any particular insight, but I thought it was really very amazing that this had come breaking into my consciousness. And I would have just completely ignored it. But about a month later, I had the same dream again. And over a period of a year, I had the dream about six times. And, and I would bring it to my students in ancient history, sacred studies, because we sometimes did talk about dreams and spirituality. yeah, um, And uh, they didn't know whether to take it with a laugh or to take it more seriously. I had a wonderful teacher named Rod Wells, who was an Episcopal priest uh, um, who uh, was very much in taken, taken in with Zen and Hinduism as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he took it seriously. And, and, and uh, he even took me to Yale divinity school uh, a little, just that, that year, uh, just to give a talk in a class on adolescent spirituality with a, professor named James Diddies and uh well interestingly enough these students they were mdiv students they were kind of interested they want you know so what did this make you do did it did you do anything in response to it i said well um, not particularly but i did apply to reed college in portland oregon which no kids from st paul's ever did because i thought maybe i should go west yeah. and um, um why I do th- you
0: think you should go west can i ask that question well, because the road
1: was going to the West.
0: Okay. In the, the road, dream. Was,
1: I knew the road was going to the West. Okay. I knew it very powerfully, intuitively. Okay. So road to the West.
2: Right. And
1: uh so, you know, we talked a bit. I talked about how I like to read Emerson about the oversoul and the idea of one mind. Um Larry Dossi kindly wrote the forward to the book, who's just second to none on these topics. Mm-hmm. And, um, So then I kind of put this aside. but. Two years later, I was home and it was the summer. I was supposed to go to Swarthmore and, and um, I had a fight with my parents.
0: I know. I can't believe this, man. You get some, you get some kahunas.
1: <laughs> well, well, so, so, so Rod Wells had gotten me a job in the Bronx tutoring kids. And I like tutoring. I wanted to be a teacher. Okay. And I've done that in New Hampshire with some of the poor French Canadian communities. Right. And I wanted to do this, you know, and, My mother, I think mainly, insisted that I not do it because she said, it's too dangerous. Stevie, you'll get killed. And my father kind of went along with her. Yeah. So we argued this out for days and days and days. And my mother and father said, look, if you insist on this, we're not going to cover you for Swarthmore. And I said, well, that's a really serious thing. So I thought about it and I said, okay, I won't work in the Bronx, but... What am I going to do? And now my dad, Henry Post, you can Google him, Henry A.V. Post. He was he was the president of W&J Sloan Department Store on Fifth Avenue, which was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And he knew all the um, lamp manufacturers and table manufacturers. He knew all the furniture manufacturers across New York.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he looked at me and he said, I've got just the thing for you. You can work in Bill de Bono's lampshade factory in Patchogue on the south shore of Long Island.
0: How exciting. Yeah, how exciting. (laughs) uh,
1: Unbelievable, you know. So I said, okay. So I drove his secondhand gray Mercedes 190, which had seen much better days, to Patchogue for like two weeks in the mornings. I'd get there about nine o'clock. I worked on this assembly line, cutting cardboard between two very large Italian women, said respectfully. And the place was full of smoke. And I had in my pocket, of course, Siddhartha, you know, and some other such literature of the time. So after two weeks of this on a Friday night, I said, enough is enough.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I went out to West Hampton Beach, which is further out on the South Shore. And I had some friends there from school and a girlfriend who I liked very much. And uh, that Friday night, about 11 o'clock, I said, you know what? This business at home, it's gotten out of control. And I said, I don't think I'm going to go to college at all. I'm going to take my dad's car. I won't say steal, but I'm going to take my dad's car. And I'm just going to drive west, and I don't give a damn. So I drove west that night. I drove through Manhattan. I I, I, I drove over the George Washington Bridge. And there I saw it. It was like a miracle. Route 80 west was the big song, because you can take 95 south. Or north, but there was Route I said, That's my road.
0: That's it. That's the road. Okay.
1: So, so I drove. I, I I drove about two or three hours through Jersey and Pennsylvania, and then I was just about to turn around because I realized, you know, if I go back now, my reputation could still be intact with my. Family. I know. I like how
0: you said that. You don't want to go back now because then it, that means you failed or something, right?
1: <laughs> well, what happened was was just as I was about to do a turn over the uh, Midway. Or the you know the, uh, I I um, I was shocked because the car completely died. It was so sudden. There was yeah. no light. There was no engine. And I just managed to get over on the right shoulder. This is by the Lewisburg exit. Yeah. And uh, um, and I and I thought at the time, you know, this must be a sign that I really should go west because somehow or another the universe broke this car just when I was about to betray my dream.
0: Got oh a break. my gosh. Oh my gosh. All right, you guys. Well, listen, the book is called God and Love on Route 80. We're going to hear more. We're going to do the podcast today. You guys, if you want to listen to the podcast, you can hear um, it on Apple. You can hear it on Spotify. We're on Net Radio, who produces the podcast. But, but we're on Binge TV today. And thanks for watching. I'm here today with Stephen G. Post. This is Nancy Yearall. This is High Road to Humanity. And we will be right back.
2: Hang on, we have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book a session with Nancy to learn how to tap into your own abilities.
0: Hold your head
1: the world is coming. Watch the
0: Hi, this is Nancy Uralt, and I want to thank all of my listeners for supporting High Road to Humanity. You can listen to High Road to Humanity on TogiNet Internet Radio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. The show is now streaming on Binge TV networks. Just search for High Road to Humanity. If you guys are interested in a spiritual reading or coaching, visit my website, nancyuralt.com.
2: We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now welcome back to the High Road.
1: Hi,
0: this is Nancy Uralt, and this is High Road to Humanity. And I'm back here today with Stephen G. Post, who's written, written this fabulous book and he's talking about God. He's talking about love. And you know, in the beginning of the book, Larry Dossie, MD, writes the foreword, and I just, I actually underlined a part of this that I wanted to share with the audience, so guys, sit back and relax for a minute. He says, above all, God and love on Route 80 indicates the kind of awareness that's required if we are to survive the challenges we face as a species. The awareness of our connective, our connectivity and unity with all else, the knowledge that our world is sacred, holy, and worth saving. You know, he says, as novelist Alice Walker has said, anything we love can be saved, including ourselves, our children, generations yet unborn, and the environment itself. And when we sense our intrinsic unity with one another, we can upgrade the golden rule from its customary expression, do unto others as you would have them do unto you to be kind to others because in some sense they are you
1: wow that's Larry (laughs) it's perfect
0: it's profound well so let's get back to your story so here you are you decide you're going to take dad's I love this dad's Mercedes right it was was a Mercedes and um, so you decide you're going to leave a note what would you say?
1: Well, you know, it was, a, it was a it was a Mercedes 190, again, it had seen some better days. Right. And it had broken down just when I was wanting to turn back. And I knew somehow, because of that, that I was supposed to go forward to the West. Okay. So it was about 5 in the morning, couldn't see anything at all. It was dark. No one had cell phones in those days. Right. And I just took a piece of paper out of the glove compartment, and I wrote a note yeah. that became folkloric in my family and somewhat notorious. To the Pennsylvania State Police. Please return this car to Henry A. V. Post, 44 Davison Lane East, West Highslip, New York, 516-669-5655, from his son Stephen, who no longer works in the lampshade factory.
0: <laughs> I just wonder what you what did your parents now. You know, in oh. retrospect, let me just ask. I mean, I'm sure Thanksgiving, it's always brought up. But what, <laughs> are your parents still alive? Oh, uh,
1: no, they passed away. But we talked about this a lot.
0: What did they and say? My
1: father never quite got over it. But anyway, <laughs> I so I had my guitar, classical guitarist, a good guitarist. And I had a couple of books with me and some old clothes that, for the weekend. Okay. I just put my thumb out and this big truck came by. And I won't go into how all that unfolded. But I was in Chicago in two days. And uh, then I was uh, actually, I hitchhiked with with a VW microbus full of hippie kids from Grant Park in Chicago out to San Francisco. And as far as my mother and father go, one of the girls in that van, she said to me, you know, you should really call your mom. Right. So we got to Lincoln, Nebraska, and they had real telephone booths, you know, in these stop areas back then. And I called Collect. Oh God. And uh, my mother picked up the phone and she said, "Oh my God, I'm glad you're alive." And I said, "Mom, I'm fine. Didn't you get my note?"
0: <laughs> what she say?
1: And she said she said, quote, "Well, I'm glad we can call off the Pinkertons." Oh. And I said, "Mom, why did you call the Pinkertons?" So anyway, I said, "Mom, you should have let me work in the Bronx." And she said, you know, you're probably right. Where are you going? And I said, I'm going out to Cousin George's in the Mission District of San Francisco, because he'd been a Green Beret for a couple of tours of duty. And he was a great guy. He was a Chapel Hill grad in Chinese studies. And I spent the summer out uh, with George playing Lobos and Granados in Spanish restaurants. And lo and behold, I drew a very, very bad draft number. So I called the people at Reed College. And I said, look, I know you let me in, but I turned you down. I could really use a place to go to college right now because I don't want to go over there. And they said, okay, so come on up. So it's like the first week of September and I'm at my Nichiren Shoshu Buddhist community temple on, on uh, um, uh, mission and uh, um, cha- uh, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, what was the name of the- Yeah. Chadwick street. Okay. So, I, so, so I go to, I'm down there. It's early in the morning and there's Gus and George and a bunch of people, and they're kind of seeing me off. And they give me a gift. I had to actually pay some money, 40 bucks for it. Yeah, A Gajon Zone. A Gajon Zone. Yeah,
0: tell what that is.
1: That's a scroll. It's a, it's, it's a scroll. And it's got certain symbols on it, like, you know, one mind, uh, infinite love, those kinds of things. And it's very deeply symbolic. It goes back to the, you know, uh, 15th century in Japan. Wow. And so Gus, who was a Japanese-American, explained it to me very quickly. And I put it in my backpack. I scrolled it back up, put it in my backpack. And then I took the bus uh, for Market and Chennery Street. I'm sorry, Market and Chennery Street to Golden Gate Park. Got off at Golden Gate, and I walked across. It's a pretty big park to the bridge. And I could see the red uh, entranceway into the bridge up this little path surrounded by stone and boulders. Mm -hmm. And I walked on the bridge, and it was so foggy. Again, it's about seven in the morning. I couldn't see anything. Um and I walked up that up that bridge and I got to the middle of it. And lo and behold, I heard a little scratching to the left. And I squinted hard and I looked, and I I, I thought I saw a guy who looked kind of like the kid I saw in the dream. He had very stringy blonde hair and he was hanging on the on the bridge and he looked like he was ready to jump. Yeah and and he and he saw me and I saw him we made eye contact and then he screamed out all these incredible profanities and he even quoted macbeth you know life is empty nothingness and i and i looked at him and i said you know uh i think you're right so why, why don't we talk about this we had, we had, we had a bit of a conversation and, and and he said he thought I was completely crazy for you me. told him
0: your story though can I stop you a second well well
1: I, well I told I told him why I was there yeah thank yeah you. you
0: told him the story I told,
1: I told him the whole story I told him about the dream at St Paul's yeah I told him about going to Yale Div I told him about my the, car. And the argument and the car yeah and leaving it on Route nine Route eighty at the at the uh, uh, at the Bucknell Lewisburg exit where my daughter would eventually go to college that's funny and. Uh, And I said, you know, I think I'm here for a reason, because I saw in the dream, I saw someone who looked very much like you. I think just like you, but I'm just going to say very much like you. And he said, you know, he just said, BS, you're kidding me. And I said, no, I mean, let me let me let me just say that, you know, this could be true. And so he he actually, as we developed this rapport around the story, which was sort of mesmerizing for him, I said, why don't you come over on this side of the fence? And I'm going to give you a present that's going to change your life. And he said, what's that? I said, it's a Gajon Zone. What's a Gajon Zone? I said, come over here and I'll tell you. So he yes. came across yes. and I pulled it out and I unscrolled it. And I said, if you take this from me, you're going to have good luck the rest of your years. And I and he says, what's it mean? So I explained some of the symbols to him. And, and, uh, and I said, take this. And here's a note to my cousin, George Lamont. If you ever heard of Lamont Gloves, George eventually made those.
0: Oh my God!
1: Um, so, <laughs> so I said, George, this is Harry. He's having a hard time. Would you please let him sleep exactly where I was sleeping on the floor in your kitchen, uh, in your apartment, and take him down to the to the uh, Nichiren Shoshu Temple, introduce him to Gus, and just take care of him, look after him, because you're good at that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I gave. Uh, Harry the ha- Harry the uh, the Gajon Zone and he walked uh, south on the bridge and I walked north and as soon as I was walking north all the fog disappeared wow. and, and it was a tremendously radiant bright morning light I couldn't believe it and I felt exactly like I had in the dream that somehow you know and, and I thought it was a miracle but somehow or another you know now it's two years later and it's 3,000 miles away you know, New Hampshire to
0: yeah, San Francisco, San Francisco right? You're right. Yeah.
1: So, so w- without any reference to time or place, there this dream was coming true,
0: and well, part I just, of it, part of it, like you met the boy, well, half of
1: it, yeah,
0: half so of that, the dream.
1: Yeah. But, that, but, but, but I knew that I knew that somehow this was much more meaningful and mysterious than I could ever have imagined, right. And, and now I really believe the dream. Before I kind of believed it, but I didn't really believe it. But now I really believe the dream. And um, so I, I hitchhiked that afternoon up to Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And uh, uh, I had a pretty good fall semester there. And in, um, in January, it doesn't snow up in Oregon, but it gets pretty rainy and it can get cold. So there was a, I was in the Reed College coffee shop with some friends. And it was about nine at night. And this guy came bouncing through the doorway. And he yelled out with wide open eyes, looking like he was totally blissed. He said, my name's Andy, and I've got a Harley Davidson Shovelhauser, and it's the fastest bike bicycle on earth.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm going to stop you, because we're going to go to break, you guys, okay. because I don't want him to be in the middle of the story. And then I send him to break. Okay. So here we are. The dream is... If you save him, you too, you too shall, shall live. live. Yeah. All if right. The him, book. Yeah. I the had book. no
1: idea what it meant, you know, but, but now I was learning.
0: I right. was learning. Right. All right. So God in love on Route 80 with Stephen G. Post. This is Nancy Yerl. This is High Road to Humanity. We'll be right back.
2: Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book your first 30-minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road.
0: Help me, Toginet. You're my only hope. I want to start a podcast, but I simply don't have time. How do I take care of the details, editing, contacting guests? Where do I put it so that people can listen in?
2: Fear not. The podcasting wizards here at Toginet can take care of all of the details because we provide full service podcasting for all of our hosts so that you can focus on your message. We even build you a webpage that you can edit and we send your podcast out to Spotify and iTunes so that your message is easy to find.
0: Wow, you can do all of that? You've magically cured my anxiety. Where do I sign up?
2: You can find all of our packages on our website, toginet.com. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com. If you would like to talk to one of us, call us at 903-787-5880 or email us at staff at toginetradio.com. We will be right back on High Road to Humanity. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, so you never miss an episode of the High Road.
1: Hi,
0: it's Nancy Earouts, High Road to Humanity. I'm back here with Stephen G. Post, and he's telling us his story. He had a dream, you guys, and he saw an angel, and the dream is if you save him, then you shall live. And so it looks like you've saved the boy on the bridge. And now we've got some guy with a motorcycle coming in saying, I got a Harley Davidson. Tell the story. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was sitting in the coffee shop. It was nine at night. Right? And, uh, and he said, who wants to go for a ride? His name was Andy. I said, I'll go for a ride because I didn't have any common sense. <laughs> and I went out there into the parking lot. And I jumped on this big Harley Davidson and and Andy was there and he had this black jacket on and, and this sort of flaming red hair. And he just took off and and he hit like, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour in literally a minute. And he went through every red light, every, every stop sign. Mm -hmm. He hit like 150 going out to the Pacific coast highway and he hung south. And we were all, it it was raining, but it was cold too. So it was slushy and the, and this motorcycle was Slip sliding away basically, and I was scared to death, so I thought I was gonna die. And oh. uh, and he went south about an hour and he hit 170 or 180 miles an hour. Oh, we seriously, were- yeah, because these were really fast bikes, oh, so I thought I was finished. And I was screaming, Please stop! He wouldn't do it, he just yelling out into the night air. And then he did this incredible sort of evil Knievel 360 and he drove back to Portland and he dropped me off exactly where he'd pick me up, and I staggered across this wooden bridge over uh, a little um, ravine to my dormitory at Reed, which was Ackerman Dormitory, and as I got in there, now, I never picked up, there was a payphone uh, in the foyer on the wall, and I never picked it up. It's against my rules. And uh, somehow or another, I felt literally pushed to pick the phone, because as soon as I crossed the threshold, the phone rang. And I was going to walk by, but I felt, I felt pushed toward it. And I, and it wasn't like I could see anything pushing me. If I turned around, there was nothing there, but I literally felt pushed toward the phone. So I thought, okay, I'll pick it up. I picked it up and I said, hello. And it was my mom.
0: (laughs) Synchronicity, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and my mom said, Oh, thank God you're alive. (laughs) And and, uh, she said, I was sleeping. Remember now it's, 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 one in the morning, and it's it, well, it's it's eleven. It's eleven on the West Coast, so it's two in the morning in New York. So she's woken up from this sleep, and she's had this terribly anxious feel feeling that she's losing her son. She's sweating. She's got a, a premonition that I'm dead, and she tells me about this, and I say, "Well, Mom, you know that was close because I thought I was dead." <laughs> oh my God. Um, and, and 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 you know this is like when when Sheldrake talks about morphic resonance, you know, like you know love can cross space and time. It's a mother's love, and it happens. Yeah, There's a long history of this. Yeah. So I said, "Mom, I'm okay," but I'm going to tell you. So I told her about the dream about the motorcycle, and uh, and we got closer as a as a as on that basis. Um, but then I realized, you know, sort of later on, um, even later that night that. This was the fulfillment of the dream that somehow the angel had said, if you save him, you too shall live. Yeah. So I had saved Harry. Yeah. And now, um, somehow or another, I lived through the most traumatic experience of my young life at that time.
0: Yeah, and it was an exchange. Now, and you never heard from Harry again, did you?
1: Well, Harry went to George's. And um, right. we never communicated um again but uh okay so i'd had a girlfriend that summer on george's floor named nancy
0: oh no way (laughs) she
1: was from she was dark haired she was from boston i love it and uh she was really mad at me for going up to read uh but i felt i had to do that because i didn't want to go to vietnam so she and harry uh formed a union a couple oh no way Uh, yeah. And Harry was from North Carolina, and he went back to North Carolina. And I never had his address. And I never knew where. But if he hears me talking about this or reads the book, I hope he gets in touch. Oh, I assume yeah. he's still alive. But uh, and I don't know if they got married or not. No idea. But uh, oh, that's, that's what happened. And George, George was a great guy. You know, he was a tremendously talented counselor. And he helped a lot of people over there in Vietnam and in Laos. So, you know, he knew what he was doing.
0: He knew exactly what he was doing. Well, you ended up getting your degree and you graduated and you move forward. But in the midst of it all, I want I don't want to leave this part out. You went to a chapel and you saw Chagall's vision, the painter of the angels. And i I really, you know, this really touched me and I wouldn't. If you don't mind, will you talk about that? And I don't know at what point—I I can't remember exactly how it went—but if you wouldn't talk, mind talking about that?
1: Well, it was—you know—it's the blue angel dream because the angel was this wonderful blue, and um, it didn't have wings, but it was just this radiant blue, and and um, spoke very peacefully and empathically to me. If you save him, you too shall live. And and so I eventually, believe it or not, I quit an NIH-covered science program for a PhD in immunology at UPenn because I still had this inclination to study world religions and theology.
0: Right. So
1: I went to the University of Chicago Divinity School yes. where people like Mersha Eliade were, you know, shamanism, right. where um, just incredible scholars were there. and and um, And I got really into religious studies. And and I eventually got a job um, at Fordham Marymount in philosophy and world religions. And my office mate, Gabe Gomez, asked me, so how'd you get into this? And I told him about the dream, about Blue Angel Dream. And he said, you have to get out of here right now and walk around the pond and go uh, to the Peconico Hills uh, uh, area where the Roosevelt, where where um the Rockefellers had their homes, and go to Union Church there. And I went into Union Church, and there, the whole back wall of Union Church, but you can Google this, Paconical Hills. I
0: know. I, I need to go. I need Because I'm such an angel person, I need to go see this. But go it's ahead. It's a
1: big Chagall stained glass window called the Good Samaritan, and it's just filled with uh, this blue angel. And I got so curious about Chagall. And he became my brother in a way, even though he was, of course, passed away. But um, I felt he understood what a what a blue angel could be in a person's life. So it turns out, Chagall had run away just like I'd run away. I know
0: it's crazy away
1: from, this, from this small city in 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 uh, Western Russia, and he'd gone to uh, Saint Petersburg. And he was he was eighteen at the time. I was seventeen when I ran away and he um he lived on the streets and he, he and he sketched people he was his father had wanted him to work work in a in a in a factory that pickled herring his father had a factory i mean he, he, you know i mean how was Chigal going to work in a pickle factory in a right. herring factory it would be a break so he knew he had to go like i knew i had to leave Bill the bonos lampshade factory uh,
0: <laughs> yeah same deal
1: yeah and so <laughs> So Chagall would, would do these sketches, but he never painted yet. He sleeps in an alley. He wrote this in a book called My Life, which he wrote about 10 years later. And you can pick it up on Amazon.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and he's he's sleeping in the alley. And he's on a big mattress. And there's a huge guy who's like a construction worker next to him, sort of pushing him against the wall. And Chagall is there. And he's kind of asleep, but he's kind of awake. And lo and behold, he has this incredible vision of a blue blue angel coming down into the alley, covering him with this love and kindness, and then it ascends. So the next day he goes out and he does his first painting, and it's of a blue angel, and it's called the Ascension. You can see it in the art history books, and it's it's the Ascension. It's because it's it does have white wings, but it's a blue angel. And even when he died, when Chagall died, you know, all his blue, his blue windows are in the Art Institute in Chicago and all over the world. But the day he died, he was in his studio outside of Paris and he was painting a blue angel. And he said that blue was the color of love.
0: Well, it is. Well, and I've done some research on the angels, of course, and I know a little bit. And I just mentioned that Archangel Michael has always been shown to have tips of blue on his wings. And a lot of the angels also have tips of blue on their wings. And they talk about Archangel Michael's sword of truth is blue. Okay. So this color is definitely in line with everything I've ever learned about the angels. Yes. And know about the angels. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I got to actually, (laughs) I got to give a lecture on, on Chagall up at uh, Peconico Hills, you know, like in, 2014 it was amazing There's a whole a long story to this but but I identify more than most people do I think with Chagall because I felt like somehow we were brothers under the skin you know
0: yeah well no you were connected that was the connection and it's interesting because you felt that you know you were young and you just felt you needed to go and follow your path and that's what you did yeah. I mean you weren't worried about not having you didn't have much money with you, when I, you had I had 50 bucks
1: I had fifty yeah. But but the thing about it is that there there was a pull. The, the, the dream, I didn't know what the dream really meant, but it was a pull. I was curious about it, but there was a big push, which was the incredible uproar at home. Yeah. You know, over, over not being able to tutor in the Bronx. So I had a push and a pull and together those things. Now by by the way, when I was at Reed, I took a course on Alchemy 101 with Steve Jobs, who was a student at Reed.
0: Oh, no way.
1: Yeah, and and we, we read... Uh, the, the autobiography of a yogi together, incidentally. That's interesting. Um, okay, but he, but he was a Reed kid, and, and and he only stayed there for about a, a year. But interestingly enough, uh, we were able to talk about the Blue Angel Dream.
0: I love that. All right, you guys, we have one more segment here today with Stephen G. Post. The book is God and Love on Route 80. Hey, if people want to find you, can they get in touch with you? Do you have a website?
1: Yes, yeah, uh, Stephen with a P-H, StephenGPost.com. And my Gmail is stevengpost at gmail.com.
0: That's fabulous. All right. This is Nancy Yearout. This is High Road to Humanity. And we will be right back.
2: Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book your first 30 minutes coaching session for free to get you on your high road. Do you
0: feel like something is missing in your life? Do you feel lost or alone? Do the things you buy for yourself lose their luster quickly? Are you searching for fulfillment within your heart and soul? What if you were given the ability to change your life for the better, to create what you want for yourself? If I told you, you have the ability to tap into the universal energy to design the life you desire, This was my discovery many years ago. As a businesswoman and a single mom, I had no choice but to pay attention to what the universe was revealing to me. And I learned how to use it for my benefit. When you wake up and pay attention to the messages that the universe is showing you, your life will change for the better. Because we all hold the ability to tap into the universal energy to enhance our love life, our career, our finances, anything you wish. This energy was created for our use, and it's free. Now, I'm excited to share this information with you in my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You. It's available to you on my website at www.nancyyearout.com, that's N-A-N-C-Y-Y-E-A-R-O-U-T.com, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon. And thanks for picking up my book. And may the energy of the universe bless you. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with Compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com That's com.
2: We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road.
0: Hi, it's Nancy Earl. This is High Road to Humanity. I'm here today with Stephen G. Post. He's been so gracious to um, tell us his story and his new book. Well, actually, it's not new. How long has this been out? A little bit, huh? About a couple of years. Yeah, got in love on route, route 80, and I really enjoyed it. I have to tell you, it was very well written. And the story, and there's much more to it. It's quite a lengthy book than what we're telling you today. But, um, you know, have you, so since this time, your connection with the angels, do you ask for angelic guidance? Um, do you have the dream still? Do you feel more connected to God? Those are the questions I think I want to ask.
1: Well, I think since that experience on the Golden Gate Bridge and since that experience on the motorcycle, I've never doubted consciousness of the one mind, that there is only one mind. In that sense, I'm very much like Larry Dossie, which is why we've been friends for a long time. And and I think that, yeah, these kinds of communications are... um, the supreme being's way of breaking into our mundane consciousness. And Mm -hmm. I meditate and I'm prayerful. And I've also, you know, I've had some other major experiences of synchronicity that run across the book. And some of them are quite amazing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, so I, I, I have these experiences and I still, I don't dream vividly so much, but uh, um, my wife does. My wife dreams a lot and, and her dreams often come
0: true. That's cool. So you were actually, um, 2001, you founded the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. Talk about this.
1: Yeah, so here's the deal. You know, in my life, in my journey, so life is a journey, okay? And when I was in Chicago, I got to tell my Blue Angel story over coffee to Mersha Eliade, who wrote the book on uh, uh, on, uh, 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 shamans. And Joseph Campbell, who was visiting there half the year, and and I told him that story. I told him about the car, and Eliade said, "That's shamanism," and Joseph Campbell said, "You're lucky to be alive."
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but I. But at any rate, you know what happened was, um, I met wonderful people in my life, including um, Sir John Templeton, the famous investor, at a conference on spirituality and religion in virginia uh way way back in like you know 1991 92 and i became an advisor to his foundation nice um so i'm i'm in my office at the medical school of case western reserve university where i'm doing a lot of research on dementia uh, and so forth um and um Lo and behold, I get a fax from Sir John. He's down in Lyford uh in the, in Nassau, um, and it says, "Stephen, we need to start an institute to study the greatest human asset, but the greatest asset in the universe, which is love." Mm-hmm. And I responded, "In fact, Sir John, that's a great idea to bring all these great scientific methods to study this. What should we call it?" And he said, "The Institute for the Study." Of unlimited love for research on unlimited love. And I faxed back. I said, "Sir John, that's okay, but maybe we should tone it down a little bit and change it to the Institute for the for research on on altruism." And he he faxed back, "No, I think unlimited love up to eight point nine million dollars." I still have that fax, and oh. uh, and so I said, "Of course." And he was so right because it allowed us to have huge conferences with scientists and practitioners and spiritual thinkers all over the world. We funded upwards of 70 major studies at leading universities from Oxford to Berkeley uh, and really kind of kicked off this this area. Um, and I okay, mean, So what I mean, did
0: you find out?
1: Well, a lot of things. I mean, we, you know, we studied, I mean, we, we had to, we had to divide up the topic. So the first thing was, um, it, it You know, give and live better, that when you give to others, you benefit yourself, even if there isn't a reciprocal payback. So we studied that, had many, many uh, important studies on that, even did a national survey um, indicating that a great many Americans uh, agree with that particular viewpoint. And when they, when they give, they feel more resilient, they feel happier, they feel uh, more uplifted. So I wrote the book, uh, um, Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Happier, Healthier, Longer Life Through the Simple Act of Giving with Nancy, I'm sorry, with uh, Jill Nymark, who's a very popular science writer, like Discovery and Scientific American. Mm-hmm. So we wrote that, did really well. <clears throat> and um, um, and we also studied uh, the healing power of love, because Sir John always said to me, look at me now, he said, you know, love heals. That's right. And I said, "It sure does, Sir John." And we were very close, you know. I was like his right hand. I got to tell you how how he died and what, what it, that's. It's amazing. But we studied the healing power of love, and and I've had my day job in medical schools at, uh, you know, Case Western, Michigan, Stony Brook, running programs that study scientifically the importance in of uh, of, of these kinds of positive emotions,
0: right? In healing. Right. Well, let me just say, first of all, I want to say a couple of things before we get out of here. One um, love has the highest vibration in the universe. Yes. So I'm really into energy and the vibration because we are energetic beings, you see. And so when we give out that energy, you know, the energy of love, the energy of love returns to us because that's how the universe works. Mm-hmm. But um, I did write down um, some of the things that you guys said were like the the most, the seven most important things. The way of celebration was number one. And I thought that was interesting. I wanted the audience to know these if it's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two, the way of helping, like you were just talking about. Um, three, the way of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough. People hold on and they don't want to forgive, but it's freeing to the soul when you forgive. Um, the way of confrontation. Uh,
1: carefrontation. Carefrontation.
0: carefrontation. I'm sorry. Carefrontation. Um, I wrote that down. I know. <laughs> I, I coined
1: that with M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Traveled, who'd been a Case Western Graduate, psychiatry okay. person. So we didn't want. It's too negative, but care confrontation is completely different than confrontation.
0: So, so tell us about care confrontation.
1: Well, you know that's where you. You know, you, I mean, I, I manage situations all the time, every day, where I have to give. I, I have to be like a little bit of a velvet hammer. I, I want to encourage people. I don't want to lose their attention or their connection, but I do need to to help them to kind of get back on track, which is what true. Friendship and good leadership is about. Nice. So carefrontation is, is is a different feeling than confrontation. I'm not I against love that. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's really good. Uh, the way of mirth, laughter. You say laughter. I believe in laughter too, the positive endorphins, right?
1: Oh, yeah. So so as we say in the book, you know, uh laughter in a millisecond completely changes people's orientation. So during COVID, this place was covered with this was an epicenter for COVID. I was here every day, and uh-huh. I'd be on the uh, on the escalator, and I would say to the students. In fact, if I ran into them, I'd say, uh, you know, some little dad joke, like uh, <laughs> what did the what did the fish? I was for one while. I was, what did the fish say when it swam into the wall? Damn, things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Just because, just because, and not not. I never use derisive or unkind humor, but just right. these sort of small, cute, uplifting things that people remember.
0: Right. And you write in Proverbs 17, 22, chapter 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And I like that you put the way uh, number six is the way of respect, because yeah. we were talking earlier, you know, we've really lost respect for humanity, for each other, for human life. You know, as we see these things happen uh, on a daily basis. And the, and the last one, which is so very important, which I feel we've lost, too, that we have to get back, is the way of listening. The
1: way of listening. Yeah. 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 And these are things that, you know, any anybody needs to know, but especially healers, nurses, and doctors need to listen attentively. They need humility. Right. Uh, and 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 they need to put themselves in a position where they can really be instruments of love. So I've been able to pull this off at some pretty good medical schools, and you know, cool. uh, not get not, not get trampled for it. In fact, uh, we even won the Alpha Omega Alpha award two years ago for that's the highest award in medical education. You know, for this center for what we've done with this incredible medical center. That's and so true. you can do it, but you got to have a dream. I got to tell you about about this about Sir John when he died. All right,
0: tell us this, and then we'll get out of here for today.
1: So, so Sir John died. I'm sorry to say, died in 2008. And I loved Sir John, oh. and we thought alike. So, a couple of weeks before he died, his son Jack Templeton, who was a pediatric trauma surgeon at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He called me on it was on Route 80 on my flip phone. Okay. You're always on Route 80. <laughs> I was on Route 80 because I was driving out to Cleveland.
0: All right. And
1: and I, I picked it up and, and it was early in the morning. But the sun was just coming up. And it was Jack. And he said, Stephen, Dad is dying. And I said, Jack, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, is there anything I can do? And he said, Yeah, Dad, Dad's um got a request for you. Okay. This is the most famous investor of like literally the 20th century. I mean, the Templeton funds, Templeton Franklin, but he was a very spiritual man. He, I, love know, I love he it. He loved the one. My he loved Larry Dossie. So, so I, I said, what did he ask? And 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 Jack said, well, Dad would like to write one more book, but he doesn't have time to do it, and he'd like you to do it for him. I said, oh my God. Okay. Well. I that's a little bit daunting, but um, if he wants me to do it, maybe I'll consider it. Did he give you a title? And Jack said, Yeah, ultimate reality is unlimited love. And I said, Jack, we can work on that, but would you do me a favor? Go back to dad, your, your dad, you know, go back to Sir John and ask him, Can we use a question mark in the title? So Jack came back about three minutes later and he said, Yeah, 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 dad says is ultimate reality unlimited love question mark. And so I actually wrote a book for the Templeton press, which you you can see on Amazon. I mean, this is all real and it's called is ultimate reality unlimited love with a forward by Jack and peanut Templeton MD. Is it? Yeah.
0: I love it. I agree.
1: agree. It's all about Sir John and how, how he was, you know, he was a wall street guy. He was a Yale graduate. He was a Presbyterian, but in his heart, He was into this one-mind mysticism, and they called him the Tennessee mystic at times for that reason. So this book's full of Sir John.
0: I love it. God, Stephen, I'm so glad you came on. You're going to have to come back.
1: Well, if you wish, I'd be happy to. It's okay, been fun talking. With
0: you. It's been fun talking to you, too. I love it. Anytime anybody wants to talk about God, I'm, I'm into it and okay. love and compassion and connection. So I'm so glad you came on today. The book is God and Love on Route 80. I recommend it highly. It's by Stephen G. Post. You guys, we got to get out of here for today. But Stephen, thanks again.
1: Yeah. And thanks for the dream, Angel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, this is Nancy you're out This is High Road to Humanity, and we'll see you next time. Everybody, take care and God bless. Please join me next time on the High Road with stories full of love and hope for our future. You can find High Road to Humanity on TogiNet Radio spotify apple podcast and now watch the high road on binge tv networks my channel is high road to humanity have a blessed week and know by staying on the high road you will make it to your destination for a psychic empath reading visit my website nancyyou out.com to book your date and time with me i will deliver your messages from the angels and god bless